Hello, everybody. I'm Jeff Hunt, and this is Human Capital, produced by Goalspan. I love the opportunity on each show to go deeper into the truly human aspect of work, and I think today will be no exception. Our focus on the show today is communication, which, of course, is one of the most important skills of good leaders. It actually goes beyond leaders since every employer expects employees to have good communication skills. Good communication can increase sales, build trust, deepen relationships, it can solve problems, and actually help everyone perform better. Poor communication, however, can sink an organization, a relationship, or a country. The famous expression from back in World War II was, loose lips sink ships. Today, I have the privilege of talking with someone who has been working in this space for 20 years. Through her consultancy, Beth Collier helps to improve the way people communicate, innovate, and connect at work. She's held diverse communication and leadership roles on three continents, including 10 years working in financial services in London and five years in New Zealand. Beth now helps companies and individuals prepare for the rapidly evolving future of work improving capability and confidence in speaking, writing, and creativity. She's originally from the Midwest, but today is talking to me from London. And her global experiences give her a great appreciation and understanding of other cultures. And of course, they've made her fluent in three forms of English, (laughs) American, British, and Kiwi. Uh, And since I feel a special kinship with Beth, since my great-great-grandfather was from New Zealand, I have to start our show out by offering her the traditional Kiwi greeting of G'day, Beth. Now, I thought you were going to say kia ora. (laughs) (laughs) But that'll work too, Jeff. That'll work too. (laughs) Sorry about that. I know that was bad. Okay, all joking aside... So this topic of communication is near and dear to my heart. It seems like it's the sort of pinnacle of of success or failure for so many people and organizations. And so I'm really excited to dive into the topic. But before we do, take us back to the beginning of your career and share with me who inspired you most back then. Ooh, good question to kick off. Who inspired me most? Well, let's see. When I was growing up, as you mentioned, I am from the Midwest in the U.S. I grew up in a small town in Indiana, and I was very curious. I really liked to learn. I was very curious about other cultures and places in the world and very keen to explore and travel. And I that curiosity really led me to come out to California, which I went to California when I was a kid and thought it was the greatest place in the world because a 10-year-old going to Disney and everything else that uh, you find in Los Angeles is, is pretty exciting for a child. And I always loved pop culture and writing, films and TV, all of that. So going out into that world, that was something I did through an, inter- an internship through my university studies. And from there, um, I came to London, actually, to study abroad. And that year, that kind of mixture of living in California and living in London really changed the trajectory of my life, I think. If I had not done those two experiences, I would probably be in a law firm or doing something completely different now. But I just found with curiosity, the more you follow it, just wonderful things happen. And, you, you know, even if things don't pan out the way maybe you expected, there's still a learning from it. And from that, those experiences, I continue to follow my curiosity. And that's what took me to New Zealand. And that's where I really started to get more into building my communications career. 
And um, the great thing about New Zealand, because it is smaller, the teams are smaller, you really get a chance to get your hands into a lot of pots. So uh, one of the big differences I've seen from, from living and working in London is that teams are bigger, companies are bigger, and so people have to specialize earlier. But in New Zealand, I had to do everything. So, you know, you're writing press releases, you're working with journalists, you're doing messages for the CEO, you're helping the senior leadership team, you're working on publications and your internet and events and marketing and, and all kinds of things. And so getting all of that experience was really good for me to find out what did I really like doing? What was I, what were my strengths? And building onto that to come to London and work in communication and working in financial services because I was looking for those global big roles, lots of different exposure to, to many things. Um, but from there, I saw a real need. And it was that need, things for really connecting companies to connect with people and someone to be an advocate for the employee. Because you know when you're helping leaders kind of communicate some of these things to people on the ground, there could be such a disconnect in large organizations to really know what it's like for people working you know, at the coalface, as they say. And I saw that need. I saw that I could take one of my strengths is taking complex information and simplifying it. I'm a I'm a good I'm a good listener. I mean, I enjoy enjoy talking and sharing ideas, but just giving people the opportunity to talk about how they're feeling and then getting to solve problems. Like I found these things that I liked, and then decided what I really wanted to do was find a way to help people build these skills that were going to make a difference, not just for them, but for all the people around them. And when you do improve, I mean, I say this, when you improve your communication skills, you will improve your life. Like you will improve performance, but it's, it's also your life and the lives of others because so many problems at work stem to poor communication. And when people talk about poor leadership, so many of those problems are poor communication. And when people can build their skills and their confidence and cha make changes that actually inform and involve and influence people, that's where you see the big shift. So that's that's what I do now is I work with people uh, in, the, in the UK, in Europe, in the US, uh, in Australia, New Zealand, all over the place to really help them build these skills, to become stronger communicators, to become more creative leaders and build those cultures where, where communication and creativity can thrive. It sounds like your opportunity to really be transformational in people's development and change their lives was ultimately the thing that inspired you. Is that what you would say is true? Yeah, I, yeah, I was just realizing, I thought, oh, I didn't answer the second part of your question. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the chance. I mean, Jeff, when you see people or I guess when I see people who say, I'm not good at this, I'm not creative, I hate public speaking, I am terrible at this. And then when you really dig in and find out, okay, well, let's let's find out, like, let's look at like what you're actually good at and what can I help you improve? Like if you can help guide and coach and teach and see the transformations that people can have. Like when a client says to me, which just happened to me last week, said, you know, I'm actually excited to do this speaking engagement, Beth. And I never thought I would say that. Or when people say, I'm, I'm now getting the things I wanted, you know, I'm sharing my ideas and getting credit for them. And that's helping me build my career, build my brand. You know, I'm getting promoted. I'm making more money. My team is responding better to me. They're performing better. They're working like all of these wonderful, wonderful outcomes can happen if people are willing to, to put in the work. So seeing people actually discover that they're better at this stuff than they realize, that is what really fuels me. The cost of bad communication can be extremely high. And yeah. I'm talking about the cost financially and psychologically. 
There are so many examples of train wrecks out there, and I know you can share <laughs> several. Yeah. But tell me a little bit about your thoughts about the effect of healthy or unhealthy communication on organizations. Sure. Yeah. And, and you actually touched on this, Jeff, in your intro when you talked about, you know, what communication can do to sales and relationships and performance. All of that is true. The, the struggle with communication is that it's hard to put a dollar value, like to get out the balance sheet and go, when you invest in communication, you will get this. But there is always a cost. I used to compare it to an, an old boss of mine to say that a communication problem or, or a lack of leadership is kind of like mold growing in your house, that you may not see it every day, you may not know it's there, but it will, it will cause you major problems. And there are things we've seen. Um, I was just reading today, you know, we've got the, the prime minister here in the UK who is in a lot of hot water over not just actions he, he did, but the way he communicated them, his, you know, lack of empathy or, you know, the failure to own up to the mistakes, to take responsibility, like all of these things have a cost. Like sometimes it's financial, you know, there's, there are lawsuits that happen because people have done the wrong thing. Other times it's to your reputation. It's, and that then affects, you know, the way you can recruit talent, the way people who, who wants to work for you, your retention, um, your engagement performance, all of that, like there, it all flows on. So I always say to people, there's a cost, but if you think about your reputation, most of us would put a pretty high value to our reputation in business because, you know, most of us are not the only person or business selling or, or providing service. So People are choosing between A and B, you know, do I trust that person? Do I like that person or not? And, and that's what it can come down to. So, I mean, there are so many, there are so many examples. We could, we could talk a lot about that. <laughs> yeah. And it, it seems like playing a little bit on what you're saying, it affects things like employee experience. Absolutely. Uh, the way we communicate, the frequency, the types of communication can affect that significantly. Absolutely. It could affect things like brand equity, how you are perceived externally from the marketplace. So both by customers, by competitors, by vendors, and also internally, when people come to work for you, how do they actually feel about your organization? Do they have good, warm feelings? Or do, is there always this sort of underlying tension there? Same thing with inclusion and belonging and meaning and purpose. So I guess I'd love for you to elaborate a little bit. Do you feel like it positive or negative communication really swings those factors as well? Oh, absolutely. Like when you talk about, you know, diversity and, and belonging, inclusion, the words that people say and the cultures that they create or foster, the behavior they tolerate versus the behavior they reward, like so much of that comes back to the way they communicate. And it's often those little comments, you know, when people talk about like microaggressions or, or it's just those little, little things that get said, you know, you're really good at this for a girl. Uh, I mean, it's, it's things that a lot of times, like I, I um, was gathering a list of people who I thought had good intentions. Like sometimes people have good intentions. Burger King, for example, did a campaign last year on International Women's Day, and they put out on Twitter, women belong in the kitchen in a really big typeface. Now their campaign was actually, they were trying to promote more women getting into higher positions in kitchens and culinary schools. And, and they, it, was, it was something positive they were doing. But when you are, and this is where you have to know your channels, because 
you know, what you look at on a mobile device is different from what you see on a desktop computer or in a newspaper ad. When you see a newspaper ad, as the olden days of advertising were, you saw the whole thing. So, you know, you might see the headline, then you carry on reading. In this case, on Twitter, people saw women belong in the kitchen, says Burger King. And what they had intended to be a positive, encouraging message for International Women's Day completely backfired on them. Those are great examples. And I know you have so many other examples of good and bad communication. And also, I love your social media because you're so actively posting uh, on social media and blogging about these various examples. But Beth, what are some other very good and bad examples of public facing communication that you can share with our listeners? Well, I mean, we're having this right now. Uh, Boris Johnson, who I mentioned before, also Novak Djokovic. I just wrote about this in the Australian Open. This whole, what did you do? You know, did, when did you know you have COVID? Who did you see after that? Like all of these kind of questions about how you're gonna, going to, to, to respond to this, how you're going to apologize for this. Um, the layoffs. I mean, layoffs are sadly a, a business reality that you know a lot of leaders may have experience with and in their careers. And this is something that I always encourage people to look around for the good and bad. Like the example from December of 2021 was when the CEO of Better started his conversation by saying, you know, this is really hard for me. And last time I cried and I'm going to try to be strong today. And, you know, I was just talking to somebody about layoffs yesterday. And I said, the important, I said, when you're delivering that message, of course, it's difficult. Of course, it's it's hard and no one wants to do it. I said, but in that moment, it's not about you. It's about the person who now doesn't have a job, who is worried about paying their bills, is worried about taking care of their families. Like, it, of course, it's difficult. And, you know, tell a friend, tell someone else in the business that is a peer or any, anyone else other than the people who are getting an even more difficult message. Again, it's showing that empathy. In another sports example, Aaron Rodgers, there's an importance to being succinct and being clear about your message, but you need to be honest and you need to be complete. So it needs to be really clear when someone says, are you vaccinated? And you respond, I've been immunized. I mean, that to me is sneaky language. It's not wanting to fess up to say the, the truth. And the thing about Aaron Rodgers that, that I caught after that was, again, there was an opportunity here to, to admit, you know, I, I made him like, regardless of your views on vaccination, if the NFL's rules were unvaccinated players don't do press conferences in person and they have to wear a mask around the facilities, if that is the rule that the NFL has set and that you have agreed to, then you have to follow the rules. And if you don't follow the rules, then you have to accept that you didn't follow the rules. Whether or not you agree with them, that's not the point. And I think those are the things where people can really lose you know, their fans or people who you know, might be on the, the fence, like, oh, maybe I don't care about this. But then all of a the sudden they're like, well, hold on a second. You know? Exactly. <clears throat> well, a couple of things to just reflect on. One is that the common theme that keeps coming up in strong leadership, which is vulnerable leaders that are humble. People love to follow leaders that are real and that are humble and that are human and admit when they've made mistakes or actually confess when they don't have the answers. People that are in alignment with what they're thinking and feeling and what they're saying. Because otherwise, when you have some of this cagey language, it reduces trust, right? And that's problematic for everybody. Yeah, and, and it's a good point you make around humility, that 
some leaders for them to be authentic, they might not be humble. Like, and so it's, that's where I think you can try to develop some empathy as well, because so many of the problems, like when you think about a lot of the leaders, um, you know, Ted Cruz is one I've talked about before when he went to Cancun, Mexico, when Texas was under this horrible winter storm. And then, you know, he's because of we live in the age where everyone is a budding journalist with their with their cell phone that, you know, it's all captured. Here he is on the plane. Here he is in the airport, you know, back forth. And then but when he came back and said, oh, you know, I was just trying to be a good dad. My my kids wanted a vacation. It's like, well, you know, let's think about that you have an opportunity to show what leadership looks like. Hey kids, I know you want a vacation. I know that this is lousy to be in a cold, a cold house where we don't have cats to snuggle to keep us warm and, you know, porridge to eat, you know, (laughs) but, but this is what leadership is, is that you sometimes have to make these sacrifices and to recognize that, you know, there, the world is bigger than just, than just you and having that empathy. That's where I think the leaders, a lot of the mistakes come down to a lack of, of awareness of humility, of curiosity and empathy. Mm -hmm. So we've talked, or you've shared a lot about kind of, I I like to break it into two parts, the affect and the effect. So you have sort of the affect of being what is communicated and then the effect being how it's communicated. So you've talked a lot about the affect, which is what people are communicating and really not being intentional enough in thinking through that written or verbal communication before they put it out there. But Mm -hmm. talk for a minute about the effect, the nonverbal cues, the body language, how we're showing up, how we are actually listening as part of our communication skills. Can you share about the importance of that? Yeah, there's so, I mean, that's the thing. There's so much more to communication than just just, you know, the words on a, on a page, but the words are really important. And one, one thing I'll share because I just love this kind of research is that sometimes you'll hear people talk about communication. It's that 7% what you say and the rest is like, and they'll cite a study that has been so twisted and just incorrectly applied to anything. Cause if you, I actually bought the research paper to go back and look at what Albert Morabian did when he did that experiment. And it's been, I mean, it's just been completely twisted, but there is something to say, you know, it's very hard to measure. Like, how can you say, oh, well, it was the look on your face that was like 40% of the way you could, the communication does not work in a handy formula like that, but we need to be aware of all of these things, how they play a part. And yes, that's why I talk to people about when you are writing, when you're doing emails or Slack messages or text, you've got to be very careful about the words you choose because people don't have anything else to help them to, to, to really to decipher your meaning. When I speak to you now, you will get a, you will get a clues for me based on, you know, how, how do I use my hands? What, what are my facial expressions like? And my body language, as you, as you mentioned, but when you're looking at writing, you've got nothing. So when you get an email, I'll talk to people about this, that you could send an email that says, where is that report? And you might mean like, where is it quite innocently? Now, someone could infer the meaning to be like, where is that report? Like they don't have any other cue to help them to understand what you're meaning. And so that's why I think writing is one of the undervalued communication skills that people are are not investing enough time in the emails they send or the papers they write. And it gets them into a lot of trouble. And when people will say to me, well, I don't have time. I don't have time to go over that. I'm like, well, do you have time to do damage control when people have not done what you've asked because they've misunderstood or when people are angry or frustrated or upset because they feel like they're being attacked when maybe they are not? You know, there's so, there's so much around that. So we have to think about 
you know, what we say, how we say it. And, and also timing is important too. To give you an example, once a, a bank sent out a message to hundreds of thousands of employees on a Friday afternoon saying that they weren't going to get the pay rises that they had been told were coming um, very soon. Now, a Friday afternoon, you know, what do you think people are going to do when they see that? They're immediately going to go to their boss. You know, what's this about? They're going to be really angry and they were getting it by an email. And I mean, it's, and it, it was something that the bank then had to backtrack on because it was just, it was incredible blowback they had from that. So there, this is why I say there's a lot to think about. That's why it's important if you don't have these skills to either be developing them or investing in people who can help you, who can be that, ex, that extra kind of sense check, bring in those questions and help you because there's so many, there's so many things, Jeff, that can lead to problems as we see. Yes, exactly. There's a lot of stats on what percentage of employees actually quit because of their manager. I think, I mean, I've heard 82%, I've heard 87%. Regardless, it's really high. In your opinion, what percentage of those instances are actually due to poor communication from the manager? Uh, well, I'm, I'm kind of smiling here because I, I think for a huge percentage. I mean, if I were guessing, I'd be like, oh, it's in the high 90s. Because so many of the things, if you think about, come back to the way it's communicated. So my boss doesn't appreciate me. My boss doesn't recognize everything I do. My boss doesn't give me opportunities to grow. Um, my boss isn't very clear on, on what's required. My, like, and it can be those little things, you know, of, uh, I mean, I can think of people who've had senior roles, who've had bosses say things to them that, you know, have, they've just been infuriated by them, by the pettiness of them, you know, like, from someone sending, and I, I'm sure now that you know work has changed so much with people being being more working from home that that adds a, a whole other level of it. But you know, from people coming in at say it's 9:01 and someone, oh, glad you could join us this morning. I mean, it can be little flippant, sarcastic comments that I said I've never seen a boss come around if you're at work at 7:30 at night and go, well, you should probably be getting home. You know, it's getting a bit late. But so the same boss who's kind of saying, oh, you need to be at your desk working at 9 a.m. or you're late. Like, again, you got to think about who that employee is and what they're, what they're putting in, what kind of performing, you know, what performance you're getting. Um, so much of it, I think, comes down to the language that, that leaders use. Absolutely. It's huge. Yeah. What about balancing the need for transparency and confidentiality? And this is really sort of in the strategic leadership realm. Uh, leaders are faced with this every day. They have confidential information, which Sometimes it's not helpful to share. You don't want to uh, instill fear in people, but you also want to be transparent and open. How can leaders effectively balance these two? This is a good one because I think a lot of companies nowadays have values. Um, and sometimes those values are words that they will put on fancy little plaques or displays as you walk into their corporate headquarters or they'll be on the walls somewhere in the building. And when it comes to, to things like that, because I've been involved with complicated things where people are, you know, mergers, acquisitions, people are going to lose their jobs, you know, et cetera. I, I always like to think you need to know what the law says. What does the law say you have to do? You know, what is regulatory rules, having worked in banking, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and works councils and unions that you, so you need to know all of that of like, what is, what is the basic, you know, legal requirement? And then you need to look at your values. How are you going to demonstrate your values? So I have seen people, you know, they say, oh, respect and integrity, you know, very common. I, you know, we all want to work in places that, you know, there's respect and integrity. 
but you show your employees that those values are important to you in the way you handle these things. So it, it's thinking about, you know, delivering, um, you know, layoffs, redundancies, that is always going to be a difficult message. I think one company that did this really well in 2020 was Airbnb when their CEO wrote a letter and it was just, it showed empathy, it showed, you know, accountability. It was just a really strongly written, compassionate, empathetic letter. And so I think that's what leaders need to do is think about what are our values? What is the right thing to do? And a really important thing that a lot of people fail to do is actually have a plan for how you're going to tell people because too often people find out these things the way they shouldn't. They find out, um, I mean, I've, I've been around in organizations where this has happened, where people find out in the news, you know, the media tells them that, oh, we're selling this branch or we're being bought or we're closing this. That should never happen. There should be a really clear plan that says this is how it works. And when you when you put out messages saying, you know, ask your manager for more information, well, you better make sure you've armed all those managers. Like, because that's very frustrating for, I think, especially now, a lot of companies are putting so much communication responsibility on managers to say, man, if you know, if you have questions about your benefits or you have questions about, you know, our performance management system, if you have questions about how we're going to be working from home or questions about your expenses, I mean, everything gets thrown to the manager because so many companies are making, you know, HR teams smaller or they're putting them offshore. And so you're putting all this pressure on a manager who probably is still required to be an individual contributor to actually do a job, not just manage a team. They have their own day job to do as well. And we're not equipping them for success. And that's where so many problems come from that we ask, we expect these people to do things, but then we don't, we don't equip them to do it successfully. And so much of it, and it could, it doesn't have to be complicated, but it's like, if you think about this stuff strategically of like, okay, well, if I'm going to tell Jeff, he doesn't have a job then Jeff's manager needs to know before that. And how, you know, have we thought about Jeff's team and how are we going to tell them? Like somebody needs to do the thinking and it takes a little bit of time. So, but, you know, if you follow the law and you follow your values, that's a great place to start. Mm -hmm. You're really talking about the difference between proactivity and reactivity. Yes. You know, if we really think these things through strategically in advance and we have a plan, a game plan, and that plan really needs to be comprehensive because you're talking about, training and equipping managers, you're talking about actually being very intentional about the type of communication we're putting out, when we're putting it out, what forum it's going on. And if we do those things really well, we could we kind of go back to the beginning of the conversation where we have, even during difficult times, the opportunity to increase brand equity. We have the opportunity to come up with better employee experience and really uphold our core values which ultimately will help us in every way, both culturally, financially, psychologically in the organization, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And your employees are a huge marketing tool. Like this is the thing that I think people fail. Like no one's going to enjoy getting the hearing the message. They don't have a job anymore, but they might not have a job today. Maybe the business changes, you know, Airbnb, for example, you know, when people are traveling more they will grow again and they, you know, and they might look at that talent pool of the, the people that maybe at the time they just didn't have the space for them because perhaps that area that they were working on wasn't going to expand because of, of the world situation, nothing to do with their, their performance or themselves. Those are people who already know your business. They know so much about your, your values and how you work. You may want to bring them back and how you treat people the day they walk out the door 
is, you know, arguably more important than the way you treat them the day they walk in the door. No question. No question. So for leaders or individual contributors that are listening to this episode, a couple things. One, how can they know how effective they are at communication? And number two, what are two or three strategies people can implement to improve their communication and persuasion skills? So if they want to know how effective they are, they need to be curious and they need to ask. And part of the struggle with this is that, again, this is how how you do it, what you ask and how you do it. A lot of times people may not feel comfortable telling their boss, even if you have a great relationship with your boss, you may not feel comfortable to say, you know what, actually, I don't think you do this, this and that well. So this is where bringing in someone else can be very helpful to, to bring in someone who can come in and look at Let's actually see how are you doing, um, evaluate what your strengths are and where your, there are opportunities to improve. I think that's a really good thing for companies to do. If you, if you want to get, if you want to know how you're doing, you've got to ask people and you've also got to show the willingness to act on that. So if someone says, Hey, I don't think you're a very good listener. You, you've got to take that on board and say, here's what I'm going to do to, to improve on them because you can lose a lot of engagement with, with employees when you ask for feedback and then you do nothing with it. And in terms of, of the strategies to be a stronger communicator, you, you actually have to, to look at this as a model. People love to, to have models. I came up with an acronym for this because acronyms are, are memorable for people. It makes it easier to remember. And one I use is PACE. So I talk about pacing yourself. Like you've got to pace yourself. And PACE stands for purpose, audience, curiosity, and empathy. So whenever you're communicating, you first need to think, what is my purpose? Like, why am I sending this email? Why am I hosting a town hall? Why am I making this phone call? Like, what am I hoping to achieve? And then think about your audience. Think about how they're feeling, what they need to know, and what do you want them to think and feel and do as a result of this conversation? And then approach them with both curiosity and empathy. So, you know, if I'm about to to, to ask you to do more work. And then I think, you know what, gosh, Jeff is, he said he's really overwhelmed and he's got a lot going on. I need to think about that before I say, oh, Jeff, I need you to do this as well. And there's so much in the word choice. One sentence I love is how might we saying, how might we make this happen? You know, instead of saying something more direct of you need to do this to say, you know, this, here's our situation. You know, I understand Jeff, that you've got a lot of work going on, but how might we make this happen? Do you have any, what do you think? Like even um, we're about to come up on the anniversary of the miracle on the Hudson with Sully, you know, landing the there. And I mean, that was a, was, Sully was a very experienced pilot, but in the transcript there, he turned to the other person in the cockpit and said, got any ideas? Like, so he was showing that openness. And I think that's a big thing for leaders to be open to ideas from anyone. You, you don't have to solve all the problems. And oftentimes the people who work for you have a lot of ideas you just need to you just need to ask and you need to create the environment where they feel comfortable sharing them that makes sense yeah i love that approach and a couple things come to mind for me one is if you're somebody who wants to improve your communication skills and people share honest and open and direct feedback about maybe some deficiencies you might have check in on your reaction. If it not only is obviously, like you mentioned, Beth, it needs to be one of curiosity, but if it's laden with defensiveness, that's usually a telltale indicator that there's something to look at, right? Because if I have a highly defensive posture and I think, no, I'm an excellent communicator, I don't need to do anything differently, Mm -hmm. 
that could be potentially detrimental. And it's also a place to explore about why you might feel so defensive. Absolutely. And, and Jeff, this is why it can be good to have someone like, so if I come in and find out this information for you, I can talk to people as a neutral person who's not involved. I have no, no stake in this gather the information and then I can feed it back to you and you can make all your facial expressions and you can huff and puff and you can be angry. And that's fine to do it with me, a neutral person. It's not fine to do it with your employees. It's not fine to do it. You know, when people are, are being honest with you, it's one of, it, it's having the curiosity to say, okay, when, when you felt this, you know, can you tell me, can you tell me more about that? Like help me understand because like a, a perfect example, I think is, um, you know, Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, when he came out with this slideshow last year talking about, you know, people, you've got complaints of people who say you're, you're touching me inappropriately, you're make, I feel uncomfortable. And his response to that was to do a slideshow of like, here I am kissing and touching all these people. This is just what I do. Well, that might be what you do, but you're not listening to these people who say that makes me feel uncomfortable. So maybe someone else is okay with that but someone else may not be. And that's, again, we've got to have that curiosity. And if you say, well, I'm not, I, I'm not, I have no intention in that. It's like, yes, but you don't know how someone else is feeling. And it's your job to, to respect that, you know, to hear someone when they raise a concern and to change your behavior accordingly. Sure. And it seems as though what people often do is try to take away somebody else's experience. And, and what I mean more specifically is uh, when somebody shares their experience with me or they communicate their experience with me, it doesn't mean that I necessarily agree or disagree with that experience. But when people try to diminish or take away an experience somebody else is sharing with me, then it disempowers that individual. And it really breaks down communication rather than improving or upholding communication. We all want to be seen we all want to be listened to. We all want to be valued. We all want to be appreciated. Like this is not rocket science, but it is something that people really, I mean, this stuff is hard to do consistently because you think like you're always going to have that day where you're a little bit tired or, you know, you've got this pressure. And, and a lot of times like, and this will be interesting to see how we as a culture kind of respond to people. Like right now, I feel like there are some people that they, if they're in a position of power, they're not allowed to have any off days. They're not allowed to say or do it. You know, if, if you yell at me, then you're a bully and that's it. Even if it's the one time you've done it and we've got to find a way to, to, you know, to look at like, who are the repeat offenders versus, you know, sometimes people may have said something 10 years ago, if that's not how, who they are today, we have to consider that as well. But it's, it's listening to people. When you say to someone, you're sensitive, you're wrong, you misinterpreted that, you're, you're crazy, or whatever the, the kind of response that some people have, that just makes people feel like they're not seen, they're not heard, they're not valued, and you disengage them. Yeah. Okay, so before we shift into some lightning round questions, first of all, I love your PACE acronym. Oh, thank so that's, you. That's awesome. Say those four words again, just to remind Pur our listeners what they are. Purpose, audience, curiosity, and empathy. Okay, that's fantastic. I have two other acronyms I'm going to share with you, which I love, related to speaking communication. Okay. If you're somebody who has been told that you, you might be overly verbose or speak a little bit too often or too much, these acronyms are WAIT and WAITS. Okay. Why am I talking and why am I talking still? <laughs> 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> Let's wrap up with a few very quick questions. First of all, what are you most grateful for? Um, my family. That's probably not the most original answer, but that is the truth. You know what? It's It doesn't have to be. It's, it's uh, so important. <laughs> so I appreciate that. What's the most difficult leadership lesson you've learned over your career? Ooh, um, that not everyone thinks the way I think. That you have to be, you have to be humble. You have to be open. Um, we we all come in, whoever we are, and not everybody thinks the way we think or sees the world the way we do. So you've got to be open and humble to that. Who's one person you would interview if you could, living or not? I would love to see my grandparents again. Yeah, I would love to see my grandparents, but in terms of like the, the people who might be more recognizable, Abe Lincoln comes to mind. Do you have a top book recommendation? Oh, I have so many books. I'm always reading. I just read a book called Five Came Back, and it is about uh, five film directors during World War II who gave up Hollywood, you know, their jobs in Hollywood to work for the, to join the army, to, to work for the U.S. government, for the military. And they had very different experiences going over in Europe um, and different places in the world. It is, I only knew it, it came from, this is following your curiosity, Jeff. I was interested in It's a Wonderful Life. I was writing something about that in December. I read something about Frank Capra and Jimmy Stewart. And that kind of led me into this book about these directors who four of the five, I was not familiar with their names and their film, but it's, it's such an interesting, it's such an interesting book. It's so well-written. So that's the one I just read. Love it. I'll have to check that out. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Uh, never miss an opportunity to learn. As we wrap up, share what you feel the greatest takeaway is. What do you want our listeners to walk away from our talk with today? So I would say to, to know the power of communication. It is such a crucial skill. You know, people will put it in the bucket of soft skills and then they treat it like it's not important. It will cause you so much more pain if you don't do this well than so much else. Whether you want to be leading an organization or just be a wonderful employee or just a good person and, and friend, like your communication skills, investing in them, spending time on them and constantly working on them. This is something that's gonna pay you dividends and it will make your life better and it will make the lives of others better. Very well said. Thank you so much for communicating all this wisdom on our show today. Well, thanks for having me, Jeff. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to the show this week. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. Let me know what you thought of this episode by emailing humancapital at goalspan.com. Human Capital is produced by Goalspan. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And please share this podcast with your colleagues, team, or friends. Thanks for being human. Kind.